You're listening to The Critical Thought, where we challenge our listeners to use critical thinking when examining the teachings of Jehovah's Witnesses. Hi, this is Lady C. And this is JT. Welcome to The Critical Thought. We have a special guest, and he is Berean Pickett's Eric Wilson. And we are so excited to have him on our program. He is a 1975 generation, um, was served as an elder for 40 years. And he knows all about the Watchtower and change doctrines and everything. And we welcome you to the program, Eric, to share your story with our audience. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the program. I'm really looking forward to this. Absolutely. Okay. So, yeah. So, um, so Eric, how did you and your family come into contact with Jehovah's Witnesses? Uh, okay. Um, my mom said I, I, uh, they celebrated my first birthday, but not my second. So sometime between my first and second birthday that my father, uh, he worked at the steel mill in Hamilton, Ontario, and another brother there, um, Jane, Harold Jane, um, he was another Scotsman and he, uh, my dad was always complaining that he couldn't understand the Bible because it was an old English, you know, it was back in the 1949, 1950. And they just came out with the new world translation, at least part of it. So Harold says, Hey, here's a Bible in modern English you can understand. And so that's how he started studying the Bible with my father. And, uh, my father was baptized fairly quickly. I think my mother took a couple more years to get baptized. Because wow. yeah, there's a picture of her christening my sister, who was two years younger than I am, at the Presbyterian Church. So wow. um, she took a little longer, but she became a very zealous witness, even more than my father eventually. Yeah, yeah, that's how we. So I just grew up as a Jehovah's Witness and everything yeah. else. Yeah, I re remember that when I was maybe five, maybe four, because I remember the house we were in. Uh, asking my, my parents if I would survive Armageddon. I was worried I wouldn't survive. And they explained, no, no, you'll, you'll survive on our basis because we're the adults, you're the child. So no worries. So okay, that's good. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing to make children carry such a heavy load at a young age like that. Yeah, yeah. Now, realizing it. what type of congregation did you guys find yourselves in as you was growing up? Was it a large congregation, small congregation? Uh, we met at, I think, the Legion Hall. It was a rental because in those days you didn't build Kingdom Halls. Why would you build a building when the end is coming, right? Yeah, that's true. So uh, it was the Legion Hall. It was a fairly big congregation. And I remember when they finally did build something, I guess it was probably in my teens, they built a hall in Hamilton. There was a big furor over that because a lot of people thought they were wasting their money and time building the Kingdom Hall because the end was coming, right? At um, least in those days, you built a hall for the congregation, owned by the congregation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How did that affect your family? Like, did you have a big family that were not Jehovah's Witnesses? No, I had a grandmother and aunt who weren't. Um, and uh, they were Presbyterians and later converted to Seventh-day Adventists. But um, that never really affected us because my father was kind of like the head of the family. They, uh, my father was born in India, uh, part of the great Scottish and English uh, colonial immigration, right? Uh, he was Scots background. So uh, they came over from India 
and to Canada when he moved to Canada. He used to be in the Merchant Marine during the war, and he wanted to settle down. He didn't want to go back to India, so he, they came to Canada. And so it was just my grandmother, my aunt, um, my sister, myself, and my, my parents. And that was the sum total of my family. Wow. Yeah. So basically, so over the years, you as, as with all witness people and witness kids, you, you went through the, the regular no holidays and things like that. Yeah. I remember in grade uh, seven and eight, because uh, we moved to a small town and in, in the, uh, I guess you call it middle school or you know, forgot what we called it then. But anyways, you know, pre pre high school, um, they, I don't know if they, they recited the anthem, I think it was, or they played the anthem, one of the two. And I had to stand outside of class every day. So they, when they did that, I'd go outside and stand in the hallway and then when they finished, I'd go back in. So that was, that was, uh, it immediately sets you apart from everybody, of course. I totally understand you. I did that on the military base. Mm -hmm. My teacher was a decorated um, um, Air Force, retired Air Force, and he was my teacher. And I had to do the same thing. Mm. Very humiliating. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you, it's, 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 and you're such at such a young age, and as you know, as the old saying goes, you know, children can be very cruel, and so classmates, mm -hmm. they, they're, you know, it's, it's just mercifully, they just, oh yeah, they just get you. Um, that is amazing. Um, so now, as you like most witnesses, as you grew up, you reach adulthood. When did you decide that you wanted to actually become one of Jehovah's Witnesses? I got baptized when I was fourteen, so fairly early on. Um, but more because that's what you you did, right? That's what you did. It wasn't like I didn't really understand much about anything. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I was, well, even at the age of 19, I moved out of the house at 18, lived with a couple of guys, uh, was working at the steel mill. And because, you know, I couldn't go to university because it was 1967. The end was coming in eight years. I would barely get out of university by the time, you know, everything was destroyed. So, uh I just went to the mill and worked, even though I didn't really want to be a steel mill worker. Um, when I was 19, my mom and dad said, hey, we're going to go to South America. Because they were they were both were from hot countries. My mom spoke Spanish. She was raised in Argentina. And so they always hated the cold. So this was a great excuse for my dad to take early retirement. He was 55, uh, take his package from Tefasco. And uh, they were going to go to Colombia and uh, preach, you know, where the need was great until the end came in 75. So uh, I thought, hey, this is a great adventure. So I decided to go down, but more because it was an adventure, not because I'm going to serve where the need was great, you know. Matter of fact, I had hopes of buying a motorcycle and tooling around South America. Yeah. But, uh, it didn't turn out that way. I met the missionaries uh, because the moment you go down to South America, especially back then, you're kind of an immediate higher status right so you, you hobnob with missionaries etc because you're a small group of foreigners and i started to take as we said then the truth you know seriously mm -hmm. uh, i tried pioneering and uh started studying the bible and that's when i began to really become a full-fledged jehovah's witness so i was 1920. Yeah. so how did you end back up in canada then I uh, was there seven years. Uh, Mom and dad came back a little early because their funds ran out. Um, and I came back uh, in 75, in October of 75. 
mainly because I needed to work, you know, I needed to get some funds. So I came back thinking I'd go back again and continue, but I ended up meeting my wife to be and, uh, and the Spanish congregation in Toronto. And so I got married and ended up staying in the Spanish, uh, in Toronto for the next 16 years. Yeah, serving in, in what they call foreign language church. Was it a very large Spanish population at the time, or did it just simply grow over, the, over a period of time? When we got there, there were 7,000 witnesses. Uh, when I left, there were about 15,000, so it doubled. Um, I don't know what it is now, but I remember checking a few years back, and there were more witnesses in Colombia, uh, which is about the same population as Canada, very, you know, very close in what. 35 million. Um, but there were more witnesses there than in Canada, like 140,000 compared to 110. Yeah. So uh, they don't, the need isn't greater there anymore. The needs, if anything, is greater here. <laughs> yeah, no, right? right. <laughs> but you know what? How did things happen? How did things turn out for your parents with them running out of funds? He leaves and comes, goes back to Canada. But does he take a job? Yeah. He ended up becoming a. Uh, a maintenance man at a local hospital. So we used his skills to manage the boiler and can, you know, he, he controlled the boilers for the hospital and then he did other duties, you know? So he, um, it was a step down for sure, but it gave them enough money to keep, keep going. And then uh, eventually he went on full retirement with the government pension and they got into a, a government assisted utility uh, facility for rent. And, um, and when he was there for the rest of his life, he died uh, at at 76. My mom died at 59 from an aorta dissection. So he was alone for seven years before he died. So they didn't have much money. You know, they used it all up. If he'd yeah. stayed and took, taken full retirement, they would have re retired comfortably. But that was another problem with 1975. A lot of people figured they didn't need their money, so they made bad choices. Yeah, we saw that with so many people when I was growing up. People they they quit their jobs, they took part, and they was going to just pioneer until the new system came. Yeah. And so when we see them now, you you know, when we go home, you see them, and and unfortunately, they are struggling. Mm -hmm. But during that period of time, uh, did you have any like any doubts or questions, or were you pretty much just trying to be a good loyal witness and keep your head to the grindstone, as it were? No, I don't think I ever had any doubts. Um, you know, my, my problem is I accepted the, the logic of the doctrines without really scrutinizing them, you know. Uh, I could make sense of 1914, but I was accepting all the premises as givens. Uh, I could accept the other, other sheep, again, accepting the premise upon which it was based without actually establishing whether the premise itself was scriptural. Um, but I didn't have a lot of, um, what's the word? Uh, I didn't have a lot of esteem for uh, prominent men because, you know, I was involved with, I mean, I knew all the missionaries in Colombia. I was in three cities. We traveled a lot. Got to know them all, saw all their foibles and thought, yeah, they're not so spiritual after all, right? And then I got in touch with the branch and all the silliness that went on. And so I, I never had a great esteem uh, for them. I remember um, in 19, oh dear, let me think, I think it was 72, there was an article, a new new light on uh, 
Matthew 24, 22, you know, it says there, um, those days are cut short, okay? And we used to think that those days being cut short was Jerusalem wasn't totally destroyed. Uh, so about 70 or 80,000 people survived. And so those days were cut short on account of the chosen ones. And so I thought, well, wait a minute. Um, the chosen ones were not there. They'd already left. So why cut the day short on their account, right? So I wrote a letter into Brooklyn. And this is at this time, Brooklyn would answer you. Oh, yeah. Now they don't. They send it to the local branch. And then if they feel there's trouble, they send the elders. But in those days, they would answer you. So I got a letter back, and I, I made no sense. I still have the letter, actually. Uh, and it said, um, it, it, was on, it wasn't on account of them, of the chosen ones. It was on account of their not being there. And I thought, well, that's my whole point. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. So I thought, okay, we don't have shining, you know, uh, great scholars there. They're not uh, bright light bulbs there. That's okay. So, but, you know, even that didn't deter me from believing we were in the truth. I just thought, okay, so there's some guys who just aren't that bright, you know, but we still have the truth. That was the problem. I should have looked deeper, but, you know. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of how we end up with, with our channel about the importance of critical thinking. Mm -hmm. Because that's something that we didn't do. And so everything that you mentioned, they were all like red flags. And yeah. we just did not stop and look at the red flags. In right. fact, that was what we were discussing. What was, how did you actually come up with the name for your, your channel? Marine Marine Pickets? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to get the word skeptic in there because the skeptic is a critical thinker, right? Not, not a cynic, but a skeptic. Mm -hmm. uh, but I thought at the time, the idea for the channel wasn't, to become like any kind of activist channel or attack witnesses. The, the premise at the beginning was, let's get like-minded witnesses who are willing to do deep Bible study and, and let's do it together and figure things out, you know? And uh, obviously we don't want to discourage people. So I didn't want to put the word skeptic because they might say, oh, that uh, must be apostate. Because at the time awesome. I didn't consider myself an apostate, even from a JW perspective, right? I just was, Someone who wanted to know more, wanted to research. So uh, I, I went to an anagram generator and found out what words you could make from skeptic and pickets. Okay. So what's a picket? Okay, well, a picket is a guy who stands by a picket, a post, guarding the camp, right? Yeah, or he takes the lead when you're in a foray. So uh, that made sense. Okay, because we're kind of at the cutting edge. We're taking the lead and investigating and you know, guarding the camp. Okay, so it kind of fits pickets and then skeptic. Yeah. That's where I got it from. Okay, Excellent. good. Excellent. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And Bereans, of course, because, you know. Yeah, the Bereans, yeah. yeah. Oh, so I've now, taken the American spelling and not the old Greek. Okay. <laughs> so now, what, after all these years, you've served, I think you served as an elder for almost like 40 years. So yeah. you've seen all kinds of judicial cases. And I think one of the things that you made the point was you got a chance to look at the men behind the curtain. And when you see the men behind the curtain, you realize they're not quite what you thought they were or what they oftentimes present themselves. Oh, to. yeah. Yeah. That that was a that was probably the shocking thing for me as well is seeing you know, on stage. This brother, they think he brother love. But behind the curtain, you know, he's he, he's cutting people down by the knees. and stuff. Mm -hmm. you know? So um, but now. 
What led you to the point where you had to take, as we say, take that step back and re-examine things? Um, I was starting to get, I guess, annoyed by things in the early part of the century, like around just when we came into the 21st, you know, mm-hmm. but it was more with, I was getting annoyed that they just wouldn't admit they were wrong. Yeah. That bothered me. If, if you made a mistake, say we made a mistake and we'll just embrace you, but don't say others thought, or it was thought, or in the publications it used to say, we made a mistake and they wouldn't do that. And it used to annoy me enormously. So I'd constantly be complaining and finding fault with things uh, with my friends, you know, but it was, I never questioned that we had the truth. And I guess it was because where else would you go? You know, I mean, I, I've talked with Catholics and Protestants and Baptists and by high and all you name it, I've talked with them extensively and there's nowhere else I'd think, oh, they have the truth. So, uh, you know, that was very much what kept me going. Um, but uh, when they came out with the overlapping generations, I thought, wait a minute, that's, they're making it up. That's like, that's just made up out of nothing. And if they can make that up, what else did they make up? Maybe they made other stuff up. So for the first time I began to look and I had a friend who who kind of a little ahead of me waking up. We started talking about 1914 and I'm defending it. I'm saying, yes, but this, he'd say, yeah, but what about this? Oh yeah, right. So, well, what about this? He'd say, yeah, but what about that? And he was constantly using the Bible to force me to, to realize that I, my whole argument was based on assumptions, right? Not reality, but assumptions. And once you took those assumptions out, there was no foundation for the whole doctrine. And even then, I didn't say, oh, well, we don't have the true religion. Because I, th- I thought, well, we've been wrong about prophecy before. We're wrong about this one. Now, I should have seen deeper, but I would still my development wasn't such that I could see deeper, you know? It's funny how you continually justify things. Like then I learned about the UN scandal. And that should have been enough, right? But okay, that's those, you know, the idiots are doing stupid things, but we still have the truth, right? We got to blame them. The men are making stupid things. So men never bothered me. People say, oh, you left because you were disgruntled. No, I would have left decades before if I was left because of that. But it was when I came to the... um, other sheep. Then I started looking at the other sheep doctrine and I looked deep into it and I found there was no explanation in any of the publications. They just say the other sheep have this hope. It was like a given, but where does it say that, you know? And I finally went back to the uh, watchtower in 1934 where it was first introduced. And this thing is just uh, two, two articles are, and it's just full of types and eddy types and it's all made up. And I thought, so they've been messing with my salvation, my salvation hope. Right. Has yeah. Been from me. yeah. It's painful. It is, it's very painful. Yeah. So um, that was uh, that was the that was the breaking point. That was like that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So then, how did you end up in that judicial meeting that ended up uh, you having to bring in attorneys? I mean, how, how did you? How, because you were like you said, and you're doing exactly what a lot of. Uh, individuals do they run across things and they mm-hmm. keep it to themselves you know they don't they don't go around the kingdom halls they're passing out you know xerox copies of old magazines so how did you end up even though you tried to remain basically in the background anonymous once people heard about 
how you thought. What happened at that point? Well, I'm not sure about what motivated it. I have a suspicion because people have been telling me things, but um, I uh, we stopped going to meetings in 2016. Both my wife and I stopped completely. And then we moved to, to Ecuador because we were thinking of moving there because it was cheaper to live. Uh, then we came back to Canada and that was when my wife uh, was diagnosed with cancer. So we, she, she passed away in 2017 and I decided to stay in Canada. And, and um, so, but I still stopped associating. So for four years, I wasn't associating, but I did have the Breen Pickett's website, but then nobody knew about it because I was Maledi Vivlon, that was my alias. Um, then in 20, I think now in February of 2018, I thought I got to do more. So I started with videos and I thought the moment I do videos, I'm going to see my face and I'll be called up. But no, I wasn't. I went through the whole year, did all these videos. Um, had, I think, uh, 80 or 90,000 views total out of 12 or 14 videos. And I think I had 800 subscribers. And then in January of 2019, I thought I'm going to do the same video in Spanish that I did in English. You know, why did a 40 year elder, an elder of 40 years leave? And so I did that video and boom, <laughs> it went like pretty viral. It, uh, suddenly it, I was get, I had like 4,000 subscribers within two months yeah. and the English went up too. Uh, that video in Spanish now, it's had 1.8 million views. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, people, I think that's it. Yeah, we, we've had people who have expressed that there is literally a silent Hispanic group. Mm -hmm. They are not talking. They're not saying much. You don't hear a lot. But they there is an undercurrent that exists, and these people are interested in finding out what have we become a part of after all these years. And the Spanish are more spiritually minded than English. They're not so secular. So there, there, there's a huge, and I think, I thought at the time, because it was the next month after launching that video, that suddenly I get the call, you know, and I'm in Florida at the time on vacation. They wanted to meet with me next week. I said, I'm in Florida, you know. Wow. Uh, Mickey and Minnie. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh my goodness. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, yeah. You see, because if I wasn't disfellowshipped, then people would say, well, he's not disfellowshipped. So it's like a tacit approval, right? So they had to, you know, officially disapprove of me. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 correct. Um, was there anything about your judicial case? Because being that you were an elder, you kind of knew what the rules were. You knew how the quote unquote how the game and how how it was going to be worked. But where even did you even find it amazing? Even though you knew what the rules were, just seeing how this thing actually plays oh, yeah. out. Did, have you seen the video I did on it? Yes. Okay, so you can imagine my story. Share a little bit, but because we're going to leave your 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 links down in, below sure. and have people get a chance because. I mean, you, you, you did some outstanding uh, coverage of a number of topics. I mean, just back to back. But just if you could just share just a little insight sure. into how someone who is even an elder just to sit back and see this, the, the, um, to see it play out against you. Uh, what, what did you think? I, I was uh, I was shocked at the, the extent of it. I, I didn't expect 
that they wouldn't disfellowship me. I mean, because I knew that was a foregone conclusion. But to see the, the parking lot blocked so that I couldn't even park my car there, what was with that? And I thought, they must be thinking I'm going to come with a whole group of activists like and storm the cathedral, you know? So that was the first shock. And then the, they wouldn't let my friends come in at all, you know? They wouldn't even let them on the property. Um, then they wanted me to take my coat off. And it was cold. This was like April, but early April, and the hall hadn't was it was it wasn't a a meeting night, so the hall temperature dropped. It automatically drops in on meeting days to save energy. So it was like sixty, maybe fifty-five degrees in there. And the oh, no, you want to take your coat off because they were afraid I had recording devices, which I did. Um, and um, and then so they, so they do a pat down on you, basically. They, they, all they was 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 the one, the only thing missing. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I couldn't take my computer, and I said, "But all my notes are on the computer." Yeah. Well, no, we'll give you paper. See, I Eric, paper, I have my notes. You know. Hey, Eric. The reason the reason I do this sometimes is because I think it's important that people actually hear this, because mm. if you're talking to the average person on your job about witnesses. And they know Mr. Johnson, who works down the hall. They will never imagine. They cannot phantom that this wonderful person, when he's at his church, this is how he handles people outside of this office or outside yeah. of this job. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just, just continue. I, I just because it's, it's important that people understand. You actually got basically a pat down. Yeah, pretty much. The house of God. I had to leave my case, my note, even my paper notes. They wouldn't let me take my paper notes in. And I think that's because they were just terrified of being confronted with evidence, right? They don't want to talk about the Bible. That's the other odd thing. Often brothers who or sisters who face this think they'll go in and they'll sit down and discuss 1914 or the other sheepers. And they'll say, no, we don't want to talk about the Bible. You are Jehovah's Witnesses. Go door to door with the Bible, but you won't sit down and talk about it. Not tonight. Not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh my wish, though, looking back, you know, because even with all the knowledge I had, I, I you, you always think, well, if I'd only done this or that, I should have gone into that back room anyways to find out, you know, just, just to show, because I could then record just to show how bad it was, because I'm sure I would lay money that they hadn't watched any of the videos, right? So they said, well, you're accused of apostasy. I would say, um, okay, what's the evidence? Well, you've done videos. What, well, yeah, but specifically, what's the evidence? Well, you've done the videos, but that's you know that's not evidence. What what have I said in the video that constitutes apostasy? And they wouldn't be able to answer because they hadn't watched them because they would think I can't watch this. It's apostasy, <laughs> and it would just show how ridiculous they can be. Yeah, and I and I definitely can't let the other elders know I've been watching this, so I got to play dumb. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah. So they gave you what? They gave you seven days to appeal. Yeah, and I did. Uh, only because I wanted to oh, really? okay. have, have some more fun with them, right? Uh, so this time I went with uh, other brothers. And the fellow who lives upstairs, he's a brother, used to be an elder. Uh, he can tell this story because he was in the Bethel congregation with like 25 elders, all of these senior Bethelites. And the shenanigans, I mean, this is supposed to be the creme de la creme, you know, of Canada. And it's the very opposite, right? Oh, it's just shocking. So anyways, I mean, they reviewed him four times. 
Four times they wanted to remove him because his daughters were going to university. Wow. Yeah. I thought you were going to say his daughters got pregnant. <laughs> As if they... Yeah, yeah that's what I, when you yeah. saw I think, oh, yeah. they must have got pregnant. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all. They, one, one wanted to be a nurse and wanted to actually work at Bethel. One wanted to be um, uh, an accountant. And so the fourth time, the fourth time they were going to review him, he was moving out by then. He wanted to come to another call. And, of course, he knew all the where all the skeletons were buried. He knew all the things that had gone on that really don't look good. You know, like, uh, anyway, I should let him tell the story. But um, they wanted to review him again. But they had assigned him the annual talk you know, the special talk for the year, second most important talk. There's the yes. memorial, then there's yes. the special talk. So they'd given him that to do on Saturday morning. And then they were going to review him in the afternoon. And somebody at Bethel, not in the congregation, overheard about or heard about this, someone with a little bit of clout, and went to the coordinator and said, wait a minute, let me get this right. You're giving him the privilege of the most important talk in the morning, then you're reviewing him in the afternoon. What's changed between the morning and the afternoon? And so they didn't do it. So he only got reviewed three times, but they would have done four if it hadn't been for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, it, the, the story the, can go on and on. I mean, the, the politics of the game is just unreal. Um, yeah. and, 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 and the stories that people can tell about, about how that politics work, you would just never, you would never associate that with Jesus, Bible, God, it, I mean, you would literally think that you are in a corporate room at at work. I mean, yeah. that's I mean, that's it plays out just like it would on a regular job on yeah. Wall Street or something. I mean, it, that's how it plays out. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. When they're taking you in for apostasy, have you already been removed as an elder? Oh yeah, I was removed uh, in 2012. Okay, because right? I started to wake up and I. I started to talk to some friends who were elders. That was before I realized how dangerous it was to do that. Uh, but I smartened up. But in the meantime, um, enough information had gotten out that got them worried. So uh, they met with the circuit overseer and and uh, they removed me because, uh, well, it was kind of funny. By then I was pretty cautious of what I said. So I didn't really give them any reason to remove me. They asked me, would I obey the governing body? Uh, I was a coordinator at the time of the body of elders. And I said, well, I've always obeyed the governing body. And everybody here, there's like 10 elders, uh, can tell, tell you I've never done anything that disobeyed the governing body, you know? Um, like I wanted to remove all the letters of introduction in the file because they were always causing problems because, you know, they're full of slander and... I said, let's get rid of them so we don't have to go back to them every time we review somebody and say, well, what about this? And you know, we've dealt with it and we're doing it again. Oh, no, you can't do that because you're not allowed to move, delete those letters. I said, okay, well, if that's the rule, that's the rule. Uh, but six months later, the rule changed and now you were supposed to delete those letters. So, yeah. Right. But I didn't do it because I obeyed the governing body. Yeah, we don't want those records around anymore. <laughs> yeah, now they know how dangerous they can be. Well, you know, Eric, um, one of the reasons that, that, that we reached out to you is because of a video that you did. And in the video, one of the things that you uh, uh, mentioned was an opportunity for people to help out. We often get people who call us and talk to us, you know, you know what can I do? You know, what, I, what, you know, I, what, what little role can I play? Because I want to have at least something to help out. 
Yeah. And we wanted to, to, to give you the opportunity to re-express uh, what people can do because of a particular issue or case that is moving through the court systems in the country of Spain. Yeah. Uh, would you like to just kind of like recap that and, and share with our, our audience what they as an individual can actually do to put their 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 piece into the into, into in, on, on the table to help out as well? Sure. Um, you don't have to be Spanish to do this or even. I've had a Spanish-related experience, but uh, what's happened over there is there was a, there's a group of uh, witnesses who have formed an association called the uh, Spanish Victims of the Organization of Jehovah's Witnesses, and the organization gets, is very upset by the title because it says that they these people have been victimized, right? So they have launched a count a suit. Because uh, this, this association, has, to my knowledge, hasn't launched a suit. But the organization's launched a suit to get them to change their name and to disband the association officially, right? Because they don't like to be called victimizers. And what's remarkable about it is that the claims that they've made about them uh, is that they control their, they control their followers, um, discrimination against women, discrimination in sexual diversity, disrespectful attack on other religious options, violation of fundamental human rights, has led people to depression, loneliness, and even suicide. And they deny it all in writing. No, no, we don't do any of this, right? We don't discriminate in sexual diversity, for example. Well, you know, yes, you do. Uh, I mean, whether you agree or not, religiously, you know, own it. You know, just own it. You do, right? Um, and you can say, well, that's what the Bible says. Fine, but you do. Yeah, you should be proud of what your position yeah. is. Yeah. Um, and control of its, of its followers? Come on. <laughs> uh, discrimination against women? Yeah. Far beyond anything the Bible allows for. They, they go way beyond that. Uh, and a disrespectful attack on other religious options. I mean, have we read their literature? A and they say, no, no, we don't do any of this. So they're lying. And that's what it should be noticed, that they're, they're capable of lying to government officials in legal documents. Yeah. So what we can do to help is if you've been victimized in any way, then contact this group. Uh, and I put the links at the bottom of that video, and I'll give them to you as well. Yes, the group because what they need, they have a lawyer that's very capable of this type. He's an expert in this type of case, but he needs to go to the courts and say, uh, "Here's all the proof of people who claim to be victims, and here's why they make that claim," and that proof will be overwhelming. Well, you know, Eric, that's a good point because what that will do, it will provide literally an international flavor. Yes, that this are these are people all around the world in different parts of the earth, and they're relating the same experience, especially uh, we know when it comes to this fellowshipping and the impact that they have. Mm. And, and you're right. Um, one of the things that you and I discussed uh, the other night was that what we are literally looking at is the height of hypocrisy. Yes. And, you know, I, we have a, like a little running joke that nobody does hypocrisy like Watchtower. Mm -hmm. And here we have the Watchtower, as you said, is claiming in legal documents that their reputation, their name, their image right. uh, is being besmirched. 
mm-hmm. being made to look bad. Yeah. And of course, <laughs> you're thinking, do you know how many people you disfellowship every year and make their names look bad? Uh, other groups and everything. And so it's just another example of the type of hypocrisy that the watchdog can do literally with a straight face. I mean, literally with oh, a yeah. straight face. Well, that thing from the Royal Commission when the lawyer, uh, together with the branch overseer at the time, tried to defend the shunning process by saying, we don't shun them, they shun us. Holy mackerel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anybody in this fellowship who heard that, they probably fell out of their chair. Yeah, yeah. Um, When they made such a, you know, a a ridiculous claim as we don't shun other people, we don't shun people with this fellowship and everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and so that's what we would like to do. Uh, for you know, for those who are watching this video, uh, we're going to provide uh, some of the links um, to to the information. Uh, Eric was kind enough also to provide links to the actual uh, document that the court is filing. It's, it's a fascinating read. I mean, mm-hmm. you read it and it's like, I'm, this is so opposite of everything. Um, you may recall, Eric, at one time how the organization did not have a public relations department. The official position of the organization when I was growing up and probably when you recall as well, was we do not respond to our distractors or our enemies. We have nothing to say. Right. And so I remember as a kid, you say, well, the society come on TV and say something. And the brothers would say, well, you know, we're preaching the good news of the kingdom. We don't have time for that. And we'll let Jehovah take care of that. But as you know, the Watchtower ended up setting up a public relations department because they realized they were literally losing the battle of the public perception because you have all these people who are talking. And the most important thing that we often mention all the time is that they're using the Watchtower's own published material. That's right. That's right. Yeah. If they couldn't do that, then they would not have any problem. But the fact that we can show their mistakes, their fallacies, their falsehoods using their own documentation and their own videos, you know, uh, it's just devastating to them. What are they going to do? I mean, they really can't reverse it either because that, there's a heritage there that <laughs> is a public domain now. Over a hundred years of their own published works. Yeah. And so that was why, you know, we, we wanted to, to touch base with you. Uh, you are what we often refer to as the, the unique generation. Um, you, you came in around 75. We were kids. Uh, many adults came in and they made so many life decisions. Our parents made life decisions for us. Mm-hmm. And here we are, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later, and we're seeing just how uh, unfortunate by following this group, how it has led so many of us down mm-hmm. a path that we're, we're literally trying to claw our way back out of a hole. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's what we try to do on our channel uh, is let people know that, yeah, we went through it, but, you can come out on the other side. And now that we have so many voices like yours and others uh, who can help people. Um, and that's why you know, we, we wanted to at least get you on the show. And especially this issue with how you know the society is literally trying to flip the strip. They're trying to flip that script. And uh, and we know we're not going to let them do that. No. <laughs> we're gonna keep on, yeah, we're going to keep on now, doing You know, Eric, it's interesting that you said that really you're you're just really waking up. Well, in 20, I think your your first video was 2018. So at what point did you wake up and really see this religion for what it was? Uh, 2013. Oh, so, okay, so 2013. 2013 is when I, I remember being at the uh, convention that year and uh, 
that was the year that they had that talk, um, testing Jehovah in your heart, where they said that if you even think contrary to what the publications say, you're testing Jehovah. And, and I remember um, almost weeping, like tears came to my eyes because I thought, you've taken this beautiful thing that for me at that time was a beautiful thing, this organization that I esteemed so much all my life, worked so hard for, and you're just thrown in the toilet. So I blame them for, because things weren't always this way. I mean, yes, now I look back and yet there was a lot of dead rot from the beginning, but it's just gone so bad lately. And so 2013, I woke up. Um, I still went because of my wife. She didn't want to break the connections. We had all our friends, all our family. So I kind of went, but it became more and more difficult to go and sit there and listen to. I mean, I sometimes I wanted to stand up and say, is nobody paying any attention? Aren't you listening to this? Did you hear this? Did you hear this? <laughs> yeah, that is so true. So, wow. I going, I think, in 2015. She continued on for a little bit. And then once we went to Ecuador in November of 2015, we stopped entirely. Well, that's and and and, I, and I'm so sorry to hear about your wife. You know, and did she wake up or just yeah. well? She she did wake up. She did wake up. Yeah, we. Uh, I think for many of us, I mean, I know some wake up and they become atheists, but those who who stay, you know, with belief in, in God Christ, uh, one of the things that marks them, I think, is they start partaking. And so I partook. Uh, I think it was 2012. And it was for her, it was the next year. But we do it secretly, you know. Then I started doing it at the Kingdom Hall. Uh, she didn't. She didn't want to do it at the Kingdom Hall, but I would do it at the Kingdom Hall. And uh, that was kind of interesting, too. So, uh, yeah, she, 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 she kept her faith in God, but she lost her faith in the organization. Yeah. And the organization is, uh, it, it, it basically supersedes Christ, God. Because, I mean, like you said before, and everybody knows this, and as, an, as a former elder, you know this, mm. and that is what that litmus test is. That litmus yeah. test is always, do you believe the organization? And like you said, you can say, well, what about do I believe the Bible? We don't care about the Bible. Do you believe the organization? Yeah. And, yeah. So, and if you can't pass that litmus test, you, you're, you're not, not, not going to be around. Right. That's right. Yeah. Now, given the generation that you came into this religion and the time period, did you guys have children? No. No, we, we neither of us had a great desire for kids. Uh, my wife was six years older, so she was a little concerned. Um, her health wasn't great in the early years either, so that was another concern. So we thought, well, we'll wait till the new world. This is, you know. Yeah. 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 I back and think, oh, well. Yeah. And see, that's the thing. You never really think about, you know, getting older no. in this system. And you don't think about having to fall back on your children. We talk about this all the time. Because yeah. yeah. you don't have any kids. And, yeah. and we know so many people who are still in the organization and they don't have any kids. The, the, right. the difference is they're not making any plans at all for their future because they think, like you said, we're going to be a new system. And so you realize that you, you need to change some direction and start making plans for yourself. That's one of the things we're glad while we get out when we did. Mm. It gives you time at least to put away for your retirement and things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. how, how do you feel um, 
at the, you know, at your age waking up, how do you feel, you know, being realizing how much time you spent? You know, what was going through your mind when you were waking up? You know, I never really regretted the the time spent. I look back and think if I had woken up 20, 30 years ago, I probably would have followed a totally different course than I have now. Uh, I'm very happy with the course I'm following. And yeah, I really have no fear of dying because I still believe very much in what the Bible says. I just realized that organized religion is not the way to get there, period. Yeah. And uh, and I, I preach that a lot on the channel to people, you know, don't don't go starting another religion. It's You'll be right back where you were, right? Yeah, the first century Christians met in homes, ate meals together. They were like big families. Yeah. That's the way to go. Yeah, that was one of the things that a lot of former witnesses were really upset about with Raymond Franz. They thought he was going to start Jehovah's Witness 2.0. Mm -hmm. he, he, he's like, no, you, you, this is not. We're not going. We're not going to repeat what Russell did. That's right. Fifty years ago, and so that's once again all revolves around people being able to think critically about what they do, especially going forward. But yeah. one of the most important things that I find for people, especially if you leave the organization, is at least now you can have a certain measure of peace of mind mm -hmm. uh, because we all literally live our lives on the fear. That was yep. an issue that you had raised earlier. We were simply living in fear. I mean, I think about the people who are watching this video right now who are still in and when they're honest with themselves, you're living in fear as a grown person of having an open discussion, just like we're having right now. Yeah. And that really should be a, a trigger for you. Why am I having a, if I was telling like you, say, if you told a Bible study this, they think you were crazy. And so this is this is really an opportunity for yeah. all of us really to, to, to keep evaluating, you know, where we are and what direction we're going in. But I tell you, Eric, it's been a pleasure having you on this evening. Um, yeah. And I think the audience will enjoy, especially when like I said, we, we, we will invite everyone uh, who would like to uh, take a look at the links. And if you want to share your personal story and, and let it have some some meat to it, what better way to do that? than to share it literally with a legal court case as you tell your story of how you have personally been impacted by this religion. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Well, yeah, thanks so much. And everyone, Thank get to check Eric Wilson out. Got yes. the links to his uh, channel yeah. there. Very well um, researched and um, presented information. Yeah. Just totally enjoy your channel. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on, Eric, and glad that you're doing well and hope that you continue to make good progress. All right. This thank you. And the same, the same for the two of you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So this has been Lady C. And this has been JT. And we'll see you on the next video. Hey, this is Lady C. Thank you for tuning in to The Critical Thought. We appreciate having you in our audience. Not only that, but we invite you to subscribe to our channel and be sure to hit that bell so that you can receive notifications when we upload new content. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and give us a thumbs up if you like this video. Thank you for being in our audience. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.